The following is a production of PMA Magazine. Hey everyone, welcome back to the second episode of our brand new podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Now in case you're new, PMA stands for Positive Mental Attitude, and we're all about bringing you positive news about good people doing great things for their communities or for the world. PMA started as a print magazine in 2019, and you can learn more about us at our website, getthatpma.com. Before I get into today's episode, I want to explain a little bit about why we're calling it Season Zero, and give you an idea about what you can expect over the course of this season. We started this podcast because we wanted to give our audience another way to access our brand of storytelling, and because we understand that in reality, a print magazine is only going to reach so many people. We love print, and we absolutely adore creating each issue. However, these audio dispatches really open up some new opportunities for us to shine light on even more inspirational people on a platform that is accessible to anyone with a computer or a phone. These conversations we're highlighting this season are not simply audio versions of the printed articles either. You'll be hearing expanded and unfiltered narratives straight from the people who are doing this impressive work. We're calling this Season Zero because it's comprised of recordings that we made primarily for the purposes of creating our magazine. So they were captured in parks, restaurants, bars, photography studios, and over the internet. We're doing our best to clean them up, but the quality certainly varies across the series. We hope that the diversity of sounds in this series lends itself to the immersion, and the striking and engaging conversations will capture your attention. So we're super excited about this new platform, and we've already started to plan for our next season, which will employ a much more formal recording process and hopefully smooth out some of the rougher edges that make this one so unique. Okay, now let me introduce you to this episode's incredible subjects. I'll Tell You My Story is an organization that formed in a very unconventional way. When a writer named Spring Sutter, a filmmaker named Zippy Kamundu, and a photographer, Emily Riemann, very simply decided to do something seemingly unfathomable. Relying primarily on positive thinking and the modest personal resources that they had on hand, these phenomenal women created a storytelling workshop for refugee girls who were fleeing conflict in Eastern Africa. What began as a single week-long workshop in Nairobi continues as an annual program and has expanded into a second set of workshops in Uganda. But let me set the scene a little bit. So children around the world are torn from their families when war, militant uprisings, or political violence invade their lives. Too often, young girls are left alone, kidnapped by guerrilla groups or militias, sometimes with unplanned children and permanently separated from all they have ever known. The dream of returning to their homes is frequently not realistic. Through an incredible network of refugee support systems, such as Hesham Kenya, they begin lives in new countries where they're encouraged to focus on creating a secure future. Enter Spring, Zippy, and Emily. What they hope is that through artistic instruction and expression, these girls will not only be exposed to skills that help them make good career choices, but they'll also begin to remember themselves as individuals with their own personalities, who have the right to dreams and memories that are their own, and not only a response to the traumas that have altered the course of their lives. 
My conversation with these three inspirational women started out as an interview meant to provide some background information for our senior writer, John Sutherland, to base his article on. But through the discussion, I was just totally floored, not only by what these women have managed to achieve despite so many incredible challenges, but more so what these triumphant refugees have overcome, just to be in a place where they can begin to rebuild their lives into something relatively normal. I was so moved by this conversation, and I think you will be too. So with that, I want to bring you episode two of the PMA podcast, featuring Spring Sutter, Zippy Kumundu, and Emily Riemann, founders and creators of I'll Tell You My Story. So first of all, let's just talk about the genesis of your relationship and how you all met. And you don't have to go super deep into it, but just really quickly, let's talk about how um, Spring and Zippy met on, I guess, on the set. So we let Spring talk because she's the, you know, she's the mother of us all in terms of how it all started. Uh, she's the <laughs> ringleader. You know, I don't. <laughs> oh yes, leader. <laughs> but um, uh, well, so I was lucky because I got to go to Uganda to work on the Disney film, The Queen of Katwe, and I really I got to stay in Uganda for seven months and Zippy came from Kenya to be one of the part of the editing crew so she and I became friends we lived in the same hotel and basically worked out of the same general space so we just hit it off and became really good friends and I went back to visit Zippy in Kenya um, about six months after I left the film and while we were there, we had cocktails with an American girl who was running Film Aid, which is the United Nations film production program for refugee camps. And we met her for drinks just like as friends. And we were asking her all about that production program. And she suggested maybe that I volunteer as a writing teacher because that was something they lacked volunteers for. And I said, yes. And because Zippy was there, I was like, if Zippy comes, I will do it. <laughs> and um, then I went to Seattle, which is also my, you know, hometown. And Emily is like my oldest friend. And I was telling her all about that. And Emily was so excited and asking all these cool questions. And she said, like, you have to do it. You know, and I was like, yeah. And she was like, no, you have to do it. And I was like, well, if you do it, I'll do it. And that's how the three of us ended up with this vague notion that we were going to go work with refugees and teach, knowing it would expand from just writing to still photography and filmmaking. And so while, we, while this was all happening, the refugee camp that we were going to go to started to close down. So Ashley Beckett, the girl from Film Aid, she said, well, don't stop the idea. There's this center in Nairobi called Heshima, Kenya, and refugee teenage girls who are unaccompanied minors, essentially, are kind of serviced there with education and daycare and things like that, and they're just waiting to immigrate or they're being assisted there, and maybe you could just teach it there. So we ended up putting that just saying, okay, let's go do something. <laughs> and that's how it started. Okay, so the first impulse was, um, I'll do this as long as Zippy does this with me. What, 
what sort of in your mind, other than your great friendship, what was it that um, about your friendship with Zippy that made you really want to do it with her? Well, actually, that's such a poignant question because I think there's a personality trait that Zippy and Emily and I all share, which um, sometimes individually we don't like to admit to, but if we say we're going to do something, we generally do it. And so I already knew that about Zippy. Plus she's super fun. Emily's super fun just to be with and a certain level of kind of stick to it perfectionism, follow through, and super creative. And I just had a sense, like, if I'm going to do a project, there's Zippy sitting right here with me, and I would need her support. So, Zippy, what were you doing on the on the Queen of Katwe? Queen of Katwe, I ended up being in the editing department. I was the first assistant editor. I mean, how I got to be um, hired for that was I'd done a film with Miranaya before where we were co-directors for a documentary that was used to show Disney, like this, how the style of Queen of Katwe would be. Mm-hmm. And so when she asked me what I wanted to do in the film, I said, you know, I'm a director. I'm not sure what I would do in that film. <laughs> but she said, you know, you're a really good editor. Why don't you shadow Barry Alexander Brown, who's like a really amazing editor? And so that's how I ended up uh, being in the editing department of Queen of Katwe. Well, how did you end up hooking up with this production accountant that was hanging out on the set? What did, what did, how did you guys first meet? Okay. So, um, yes. So we were the two people who ended up being left, left in Uganda when the rest of the crew went to South Africa. <laughs> Why did they and abandon so, you? Like, exactly. We were abandoned. So here's the story. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so um the the film itself like make, being in the crew it was a lot of work and it was like so many people with so many different cultures people from all over the world so like it was just like it was a lot of work kind of to try and work with all this different humans from all over the world and then you know do your actual work yeah and so um I, I was very fortunate, fortunate to be told, you know, you don't have to go to South Africa. You have to be waiting for the footage to come back. And then I was like, that's amazing. And like we're staying in the nicest place and it was kind of nice to be left behind. And then Spring had the same idea. She says, I think I need to work from here. And then so we then the people who were left behind was like, I think it was the two of us and maybe a few. I can't remember very well, Spring. And then so it was... Yeah. Kind of us and Ugandans that we were training. Yeah, exactly. Just uh, we started like hanging out with Spring. Yeah, we just spent much more time together than you know. And then we just realized it was really great to hang out and like we we kind of like the same things and we had to hang out and like even though she was a production accountant, she was a creative. Like I came to learn so much about her. She was like really interesting, creative. We kind of like the same things and you know, despite like how far we had come, like very different, uh, you know, uh, continents and upbringing and whatever, but we're just like the same people. Yeah. That's awesome. So, and then let's uh, yeah. switch over to Emily and spring meeting as kids in Seattle. Do you remember when you guys met and how that worked out? Oh yeah. We were freshmen at Roosevelt high school and we hated high school. We mutually hated high school. We bonded <laughs> over our, our, our hatred of high school. Yes. Especially of that school at that moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's I should, that's, we should clarify. We were just not very happy where we were, and we met, and we kind of understood each other. And we both really liked punk rock. Yeah, we were really into punk rock and the new wave and all that stuff. And, you know, that was back when there wasn't much, you know. Yeah. Seattle was still a little fishing village, basically. It wasn't the big metropolitan city we have now. So you had to find your people, man. Do you, you had to find your people. Do you remember, like, wh- I mean, it might have not seemed like a project at the time, but do you remember, what, like, the first thing that you two collaborated on when you were kids? Was it, like, did you do each other's hair or did you, like, make a zine or anything cool like that? Um, yeah, we would do all that stuff. We would, I, I mean, I was already taking pictures. You know, I was pretty much full throttle a photographer since I was 15. So we did a lot of stuff like that. We went and saw bands play. I don't know, we Spring, did we collaborate lyrics. on anything? We, we, we wrote lyrics, remember? Oh, that's right. That we were going to make a band all the time. Yeah. Knew like that I was a writer and she was a photographer. I think we already knew that. Yeah, that's funny. I never really thought about it, but it was yeah, I'm just realizing that right now. And yeah. you were writing, yeah, a lot, and I was taking pictures of everything. That's true, honey. Okay, so now now we understand the roots here. You know, you have these sort of superpowers, right? You're, you're saying. Um, Spring has these writing superpowers. Emily is this visual artist. Zippy is a filmmaker. And you all end up in this position where you're like, hey, why don't we just take this opportunity to teach this class and do this thing? Was it super obvious right at the beginning that you guys each have a different superpower and a different skill set that you're bringing to the table and then that created like this well-rounded panel of expertise? Or was it just, hey, we're these three people. We just happen to have these this skill set. Now let's adapt what we've got in our toolboxes to this program? To me, it was the three separate superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I knew that Emily and Zippy would get along really well. Like, I, the, what each person brought creatively to the table was going to form whatever we put together, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Exactly. I mean, like, the thing is, like, the, for the first, the, the first year we did it, right? Emily's like, you know, oh, no, Spring's like, I'm bringing my friend Emily and I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. It's just like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like someone you've never met, but you literally, when they arrive in the country, you have to like all kind of be on the same page and teach, you know? Yeah. So for me, you know, first it was like a really scary thing, but I was like, oh my gosh, like what's going to happen? And then like Emily shows up and it's like, oh wow, yeah. We kind of all like really, um, you know, we, we had the same ideas on how we would kind of execute the plans. And like the thing is, like, all of us have very, very different skills, like just very, like people specialize in different things. And it was just so easy to be able to say, we're going to do this and then do this and then, you know, and then you're going to do, you know. So it was just like really easy to to kind of execute what the plan was, with the skills that we had. The, it sounds like the genesis of the program, right? It was like there was this writing course in a Nairobi refugee camp that just sort of emerged as an opportunity. And then there's this bridge from that to what the program is now. So can you just talk about a little bit about how you got from that very first opportunity that was more of something that was offered to you into something that now you are offering to other people and that you're kind of more deliberately designing? Well, it was somebody else's idea, like she said to go into this, you know, you could teach a writing course to spring in a refugee camp. But then since the refugee camp closed down, 
we had already we already had this idea, and so we found this place in Nairobi that was you know we were pointing well, she, to. Yeah, she found it the same. Place. Yeah. yeah. So she this this woman that works for Filmade said, "Why don't you go to this place called Heshima in Nairobi? It's a center that that helps unaccompanied uh, minor girls." Um, who have arrived in Kenya as refugees from other East African countries. So we actually went directly to them, wrote to them and said, we've got this idea for a storytelling workshop and this, this is kind of what it would look like and everything. Would you be interested in us coming to, to, to do it there? And they wrote back and said, yes, um, but you need to show us a syllabus so that we can understand better what you guys are going to do. So we put together a syllabus and then we pitched that to them and they said, that sounds good. Come on over. Okay. And do, and they, do they fund the program too? So, no. No. <laughs> oh, we, we did basically. We funded it. Yeah, we did a little GoFundMe. Our, our idea about how much it was going to cost was so far <laughs> off the mark. <laughs> we it's were like, it would be $600. And then they were like, we need $1,200. We thought yeah. all cost 24 in the end. And get a bus and a driver. That's all we need. <laughs> It cost like a thousand dollars. We were so yeah. <laughs> I guess I, I guess also like you know like for 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 the two of them like for for Spring and Emily it was like oh there's a Kenyan in there so it, you know it's gonna be fine they're all gonna understand each other but like it was a shock like when we got for our first workshop like we just couldn't understand each other like they didn't speak Swahili they didn't speak any language that I could understand myself most people didn't speak <laughs> English or yeah, yeah. Swahili and or so and, and I guess that was just like the first like the first thing that we learned like that we, we just had to like really adapt really fast as to how how do we make this work if we can't understand each other Matt, maybe that's what you're asking is like yeah how did, yeah. How did it go from hey, yeah. let's just teach a writing course in spring, being like, you do it with me, you do it with me, <laughs> to yeah. evolving into a, it's basically a storytelling production workshop. Like, it's pretty super intensive, and it's very skill-based. And I would say, like, what Zippy was, and Emily were both just saying, is a, it's how it, how it migrated from, hey, will you do this, to us going, we'll do this for, for you, is... I think we're the three, we're just three really independent, proactive, project-based freelancers. So mm -hmm. anything that anyone says to us individually, we probably go like, yeah, I could teach a photography class in, you know, Seattle on, at, you know, Rainier Beach High School or whatever, but I'll do it like this. Mm -hmm. And I think that, of course, Zibby being a filmmaker and a director is always like, yeah, I can tell that story, but I'll tell it like this. Mm-hmm. And me, I'm kind of, even in my professional work, it sounds like I just am a numbers person, but I'm really an organizer of the project. So mm -hmm. we all have an instinct and in, to be organizers. And so I think it's almost like if you'd said, hey, let's go on a round the world trip. We're all going to bring what we're good at, but we're also going to kind of map it out. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that just organically happened from our personalities. But then when we got there and was like Emily said, it was kind of approved in this vague way. You know, we'd had to organize a syllabus. So we'd had to give it some shape, which was good <laughs> um, that we didn't just drop in with no plan. Luckily, Emily was like, these are teenagers. You have to be so organized, mm -hmm. to keep their attention. And 
luckily we listened to her. So we put this like kind of syllabus together. But then when we got into the classroom and we had 15 girls who we couldn't really even communicate with, everything had to change almost moment to moment. And every night we had to rewrite the next day um, to, to accommodate. And, you know, they're like traumatized girls and you have to be careful not to trigger things and you don't know anything about where they've come from and what they've gone through. So it just, it was an interplay between the three of us and those 15 girls. And it really forced us to stop and think constantly about what we could bring that might be helpful and then make sure they got something out of it. And that's what really formed the particular workshop, I think. So is there any point in talking about the conflicts that these girls are typically running from? Is it really complicated and hard to explain quickly or is it too disturbing? It's very complex. Like it, um, so, I mean, what we do is that it takes a lot of time for them to actually trust us to actually speak about their stories, right? Uh, and we go there, we like, we don't expect them to tell us immediately, but we kind of ease ourselves to like go introduce ourselves. We tell stories, you know, I tell my story, you know, uh, Emily sometimes like does a cute little story, you know, like we all kind of like make them trust us. And then like eventually some people like, and because they're all very different personalities, some of them start opening up faster than others. Some of them like make up stories and then later they tell us the real stories. But like, yeah, it is complicated, you know, just the way, because like each person, each individual is so different. And so we kind of like start taking um, like more individual attention to different people and what they need. I'll, I'll let spring continue if I'm making sense. Yeah, I think that's a perfect description, Matt. It's like um, in a room of 15 girls, pretty much they might be from a combination of four or five different countries, which are all experiencing trauma and war, you know, infighting, militia infighting or genocide in their own ways. So like to give you two extreme examples, we had one girl in the second workshop who had been, I think she, she was probably around 19 or 20, and she'd been in the bush since as a kidnapped kid since she was like four, and she had just gotten out. And then there were two girls who, sisters, whose parents had just been assassinated for being the wrong leaders at the wrong time. And they had, you know, made their way through the land and the refugee programs to get to a safe space, which a lot of people in East Africa, are they try to get to Nairobi because they know that there's services there. Um, so some girls traffic themselves sexually out of being kidnapped. Some are watch their whole families killed and then they're put into sex slavery and somehow they've gotten out of it. Um, depends on the, the strife in their particular tribe or country. So we're learning about it as we get to know more about all of that. And Zippy pointed out, because their situations, their experiences, and their personalities, of course, are also different. We just don't ask very much. We just let them reveal yeah. what they want to. Yeah. We just try to have them focus on like, hey, this workshop, you're gonna get to write a story, you're gonna get to take lots of pictures. You're going to um, make a movie. 
And we see you as really interesting, capable girls. Yeah. Not victims. Mm -hmm. Of course, we, you know, we know they're victims. And of course, we have days where there's a lot of tears, um, things like that. Mm -hmm. But we want them to remember themselves or even maybe for the first time, get to know themselves as something yeah. outside of that trauma. We really push the fact that they're individuals, you know, that your story is different than your story. Like there might be similarities and you guys are all sisters in the universe, you know, um, that you're important, you're an individual. Yeah. I think that's how we connect to them is we, the three of us are very independent individuals. So I feel like it's easy for us to keep pointing that out to them. Like you get to, you get to be yourself, you know? So how are women who are speaking out in this part of the world typically treated and are they at risk for opening up and telling these stories or is there a perceived risk that they feel like, hey, I'm not supposed to tell these stories because if I do, something bad might happen to me? Yes. Yep. Yep. Um, there are security issues. Um, there there were some girls in our second year that we um, didn't even show their faces on the portraits page because they, um, they had escaped certain situations and that they didn't want the person to somehow find them. And this is just something I wonder about. Like, I don't really know, but, and spring kind of touched on this that, you know, for all we know that some of the girls are from enemy situations or whatever. And it, it's a surprising to me how little they know about each other. Yeah, that, that yeah. sometimes comes up in the class that like none of them have talked about their background to each other. Even if they're all, even if they're all going to Heshima every day and eating lunch together and seeing each other and everything, they don't talk about this stuff with each other. I don't know if it's just that they just don't want to talk about it or if they don't want to reveal certain things. Um, Hello. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, culturally, like, we we don't speak about our feel like we we don't talk about the things like uh, you. Let's, for example, like, you know, in the West, like, you guys have, like, you go see a psychiatrist or a psychologist and you talk about, we don't have that. Like, that is, and, you know, people like, that's an African, you know. A lot of times we actually don't speak about, like, things that happen to us because we just don't, right? And it's, it's a cultural thing. Like, for me, like, I feel like from the, you know, like, from what happened to my family, I actually never spoke about it until I was trying to write a script. And someone was like, wow, that happened to you. But it's not like you don't want to talk about because like, because, but there's no opportunity to speak about those things, you know, and there's no, yeah, it, it's not a thing. It's not like a thing that you actually sit and like talk about your problems and tell people, right? And I'm, I'm sure it's the same for these girls. Yeah, they've gone through such traumatic things. Like I can't even imagine like someone so young having gone through uh, yeah, like unthinkable uh, un un things, right? And then they come to a place where everyone else has gone through so much, but they, the only time they can speak to someone because they because the, the, the organization knows that they need to speak to someone, so they of course they have like people that they can speak to. But that's, that's where it ends. So they, they don't really speak to their, their teachers or their, their fellow students because like that's not a thing. Like you don't speak about that stuff because it's too painful or because it's just not spoken about. And I remember like one of the teachers being in the class and she had never heard like 90% of the stories. She was in tears. Wow. And like, 
and all the girls also like you could just then they would just hug each other and like really find comfort in listening to each other because they had never really they always thought that they were alone they thought that they had the biggest problems and like they so they were like oh god like you actually went through that so for me like Yes, we are not uh, an organization that is doing like art therapy, but it just finds us. It, like these things find us, and we we don't we are not experts in that, but we we just like embrace it and we kind of do what we can in their storytelling. Okay, so um, so there's there's got to be a moment then in the class that happens over and over again. But tell me about it, where you're all there together and the stories are coming out and they're merging. And then um, I keep wanting to call them women, by the way, because when you listen to their stories, they sound so mature and that they've gone through so much. And then I keep having to read back and you're like using the word girls over and over again. And I'm just having a hard time. It's almost impossible for me to think of I them. Actually, I struggle so, with that, too. It's like they're teenagers. Yeah. But yeah. Might even be in their very early 20s. And yeah. Yeah. I, and a lot of times they don't know their age, too. Yeah. But they're true. supposed mm. to be teenagers. But Matt, I want to tell you about that um, because this will help. I think you you in the beginning said something about trying to feel like what it's like in the classroom. Yeah. And so our, the way it works is like the first three or four days, we really focus a lot on obviously just building trust. And we, we focus a lot on basic photography skills, introducing Zippies as a filmmaker like the difference between a documentary and making a feature film. We use a lot of visuals. They take their cameras cameras on field trips. But the morning we spend talking a lot about how do you write a story? And we write, you know, um, stories from different angles or we talk about things. And then they, but they know from day one that by the end of the fourth day, pretty much, they have to turn in like a one to one and a half page story. They have a big assignment, right? And it's like, we talk about it constantly, like your story is going to be done on Friday and you're going to have pictures to illustrate it. So they have an assignment that's really specific. So when we get to that day where the story is due, what we do is we make sure we're all just in a world. It's a very intimate situation, so we don't usually have a bunch of strangers around or anything. But on that day, we all sit together at a big round table and we just go around and say, OK, what is your story going to be at? Do you want to read it out loud or do you just want to tell us? Now, we definitely do not ask them to write their refugee story. You know, we encourage them to be creative. They can do whatever they want. They can write about themselves. They can write about something imaginary. They can do whatever they want. But they're teenage girls. And generally what we've found is one of them will start, and usually one that has had a really horrific refugee experience. Mm -hmm will say, and the hand just goes up, and then that girl, that brave girl, will tell what's happened to her. And then the whole room just, I'm gonna start crying, because it's mm -hmm. always okay we cry, but. It's really intense. It's really intense. Mm -hmm. And the girls start watching each other, and pretty much they all open up. And whether that's their assignment or not, they say, I wanna say what happened to me. And what's amazing is that pretty much they're always like victims, horrific violence mm. and rape. And That's you see really things that you can't even imagine. Yeah. You can't even say aloud, they're so horrible. And they look and they watch each other and by the end, we always ask them, did you know that about each other? And they mm. didn't. 
They didn't even know that they were in class with a bunch of other rape victims. And yeah. that speaks so strongly to me as just being a victim of sexual violence and a teenager. Mm -hmm. It's cultural, I know, in Africa, mm -hmm. much more cultural, but it's also like you're a kid by yourself in the world and you don't want people, you know, being a victim of sexual violence is like, you think it's your problem. You think it's your fault. Had nobody to talk to about it. The looks they give each other and the warmth that grows out of that, it's not perfect by any means because literally there's rival tribes in the room. You know, it's not like all the healing happens at that moment, but it's, it's a huge shift in the room as we go forward into the workshop. That's the day where we're like, okay, we're all a group. Yeah. And then we mm. come back and we see that the prior year workshops, they've maintained that sense of community. And that is really cool. <laughs> hey, I just want to take a quick break in the action here to remind you that PMA is also a beautiful print magazine available at our website, www.getthatpma.com. We also have some t-shirts, stickers, buttons, and some other merchandise. Uh, those sales help us keep the lights on and uh, keep this podcast going, but also help us uh, develop other things that we'd like to bring to you in the future. So we really appreciate your support. And now let's get back to the interview. Okay, so let's let's get kind of um, quickly like nuts and boltsy here. So, what kinds of gear and technology are you using in the program? I know that Emily um, collected a bunch of cameras and brought those down. Mm -hmm. um, are, are those like in the permanent collection? Do you have like a like a plastic tub full of stuff that you guys drag out every class? And what's sort of the technical backbone of what you're dealing with down there? Um, well, I can just talk about the cameras. Yeah, so the cameras are just donated point and shoots. Um, I really, really want to get to the point, though, where I've got like 15 identical cameras that all have the same battery and everything. So I'm going to try to hit up some, um, you know, Panasonic or Sony or somebody to give us some cameras. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I think that that would just be so helpful because the, the technical issues are profound. Um, and then like we've had, yeah, like right and when we're in the, the very last couple of days and I'm trying to like do tech stuff in Zippy too like there'll be a power outage in Nairobi and it's like that's the stuff that really that's the stressful part for me it's not the it has nothing to do with the girls or teaching or anything like that but you know I mean Nairobi is a big cosmopolitan city it's just that it's the infrastructure isn't quite what we're used to here so it's I don't know it's it's funny I don't know it's it's a an endlessly interesting place for me I don't know Zippy what do you think <laughs> <laughs> she lives in uh, I live it. yeah you know you know I, I love my city my city is like one of the best places to live but we have our challenges you know uh, there's I'm a there. lot of noise there's, there's a lot can you guys hear me yeah uh, it sounds like you're in a windstorm uh, I can hear it's ironic that you were just talking about I know you said <laughs> technical challenges <laughs> windstorm <laughs> but it's actually um hello okay i've just changed to there? my data yeah okay. i could hear like a big, it was like a big wind passing yeah it sounded like you were in a windstorm okay yeah no just saying like of course yeah like 
Nairobi is just, uh, you know, as, as, as Emily says, like, it's, it's, you know, it's a big city, but we have our challenges. It's like sometimes, of course, like I remember one time we couldn't have a screening the day we were supposed to have because there was no power all day. And so we had to be like, okay, we really have to delay the screening because we can't edit because there's no power. Right. Judy, and sometimes we were just, yeah. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes like you know, you, you know, you you're supposed to go somewhere that's like three kilometers, but it takes you like an hour to get there. So I mean, of course, it has its challenges, but yeah, we make it work. It's an amazing city. Well, it is a very yeah. cool city. So yeah. it seems like the focus is on sort of personal non-fictional storytelling. I mean, does anybody just come in and want to tell a happy story or a creative story or make up a story or is there any room for that kind of storytelling? Definitely, we encourage it. And yeah. some girls write pieces about, like, you know, this one beautiful girl wrote about how much she loves her country, Congo, almost like she was, you know, pitching it. And yeah. it's a beautiful piece. And that's how she dealt with, like, I'm not going to tell you about. Yeah. And we encouraged it. Like, cool. Yeah. You know, go. I, and the one who told us about how she got her name. I know. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. So we, we say, you know, you don't have to, like, this is not a one story. You know, you don't have to tell us about this. You can kind of create something. And then, you know, they, they kind of create. And sometimes people create and then they change their mind and they say, I want to do this. So we kind of give them an open space to, you know, say whatever they want. And then they make the choice. It's always first person, though. Yes. I mean, it's That's not necessarily true. fiction, although they do do fiction writing exercises in class, but for the final pieces, it's supposed to Pretty be much always more. first person. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, it, and, and some have said, like, I'm going to tell a story, but it's not true. And you're like, That's mm-hmm. okay. so yeah. it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, like I, this happened to me, da, 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 da. And, but then they've already told us like, it's not the truth. And it's like, That's cool. That's okay. So the kind of the um, mission statement says that, I'll tell you my story. It teaches children to find their voices and reconsider their future opportunities in the global community. What sort of future opportunities, um, ideally, do you imagine for your students when they when they leave the program? I think individually, like I think the the three of us with our different um, creative outlets probably see that in different ways. Like I think if you can't express yourself and tell a story in this global community you get left out, right? I personally, for example, am not a, a big social media person, but I know that those kids need to connect to a bigger world and they need to be able to go online, say, this is me, this is who I am, and they need to be able to grasp onto the global community. And so as writing, I think if you can't write, if you can't express yourself even on a keypad, your steps, you know, you're so left out of everything. To me, I could see it leading to lots of, lots of connections to different kinds of work. Yeah. And for me, I mean, like, I really think it's important for the girls to kind of believe in themselves and know that everything is possible. I think that's one of the things that we do. It's like, yes, Emily and Spring have come here they they have the skills they're passing them to you but there's also all this like amazing african women who we bring into the program to speak to them and then they're like oh yeah those people are actually doing this so it's just like opening up them up to the possibility of like 
you can actually make it here. And because like there's a lot of belief about, you know, you can only succeed when you go abroad or you can only succeed if you have like someone who sponsors you to do this and that. But like because they're so used to that, they don't see any like women who are doing things for themselves and like being able to like push things for themselves. Like that's one of the things that really I love about like bringing in like really interesting women from the continent who tell them and show them that they can do it. You know, and 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 I and I think some of them who kind of catch on to that and who haven't fixed their life into oh, I want to go abroad and like that's the only way I'll be successful. Some of them change and like, some of them really start to follow up on other avenues of the thing they can be successful. And for me, like for me, that's a big thing to kind of show them that you don't have to do this to be that, but you can actually, you know, there's people who are making it here and who yeah. have gone through stuff also and they're making it. Yeah. Um, do you have sort of an end game in mind for this program? Like what would be the ideal conclusion of your involvement in this program? Um, down the road at some point like when you're when you're standing on top of the mountain you're like this we were super successful what does that look like hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know when we started we we just all we we thought was we're just gonna make it through this one session <laughs> we, just, we just barely did it let's and then, and then said why don't you come back and do it again we were like okay we'll do it again and then we actually had to start thinking about what you're exactly what you're asking yeah well, because the second time you know we've 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 talked about this a lot it's like we we knew okay we have to have an interpreter so the second workshop we got the full force of the stories and stuff like in a way that we hadn't the first year the first year felt like we're all babies and we're all just trying to help each other as babies and yay we got we did it and the second one was like a really different group of girls they were really powerful and a little bit older and we could talk to them. And we walked away kind of traumatized mm -hmm. by what we heard. Yeah, it was exhausting. I think we had to stop and think about like, what are we doing? And are we gonna keep doing this? So we decided to become a nonprofit. And we, mm -hmm. we and also interestingly enough, like a connection through someone I know in New York who's South African, an orphanage in um, South Africa asked if we would consider doing it there, all kind of at the same time, which was great. So it was like, what are we doing? Like, how long are we going to do this? And we decided to become a nonprofit because, you know, we, we were kind of paying for it ourselves and just with the help of so many friends and family members. And we realized, like, if we're going to take this more seriously, we have to really raise money, you know. Uh, so we committed to doing it six times, and we've done one of those six. So we have five left, and we want to do them in different places. And I think personally for myself, it's not an easy project, but I feel like if in the end we've helped like 90 girls, it's a worthy cause, you know what I mean? That's about all I can, I don't know, what do you guys think about that? Yeah, I, you know, it's, I, like I even said in my little first person thing, sometimes I come back from the project and I'm just like, what did we just do? Did, you know, I start, I start doubting myself and, and, and everything. And I realized that what compels me to keep going back is it is endlessly interesting to me because I really mm -hmm. do want to hear their story, you know, and, um, 
and I hope that like we're the girls are getting something out of it and that the seeds are planted and things will happen. But um, even at the very, very least smallest bit, it was just because it was endlessly interesting to me. And it's amazing for me to work with Zippy and Spring. I mean, yeah, I'm kind of addicted to you guys. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I think we, it, it is, it does, it's, we do take a financial hit, each one of us do, and, um, We're all freelancers. It's, it's, yeah, mm -hmm. it's time and money, and it's physically exhausting, so we, I think we made, you know, we made a commitment to each other that mm -hmm. we're going to stick with it for, we've got five more sessions now, um, how it wraps up, I don't think I know. I can't even imagine. I don't know. Maybe it'll wrap up in such an amazing way that we just keep doing it forever. But yeah, or maybe it's like the syllabus can other people can do it. Yeah, yeah, maybe because yeah. we're getting the syllabus more and more solidified. Structure. And so if we could actually then yeah have other people duplicate it or you know, or the, maybe it's the like Eshla duplicate it or something like that. Yeah, or maybe Zippy's going to make a movie like all 90 girls get together. <laughs> right, Zippy? Oh, we dream a lot. We we dream every day. We just dream of all the things. <laughs> give you $50 and one day to shoot it. Yeah, and, and intermittent power. <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty profound. So here's the last the last question, and it, it's, it's a little bit abstract, but I want to just float it out there. So because I think it's a nice summary of, of kind of where things are going. So Spring, you said that um, if the train keeps moving forward, you're meant to be on it and that you believe in that sort of principle as a sort of a guiding uh, principle in your life. And it's funny yeah. because that is sort of a theme that comes up over and over again when we're doing these more uh, featuring people in this magazine. It's like, we're finding that a lot of people are just getting are these are these are people who are just really good at kind of like reading the universe and being open to opportunities and then following the right ones and then understanding like when it's time to either veer off into a different direction or try something different. And what you just said about how these girls are like um, you know, not they have so much to tell and so much to say, but they're not encouraged to say it. That is sort uh -huh. of like the universe pushing back on them, and that's sort of the train not going somewhere in a in a weird way, right? And so there's like this yeah. this pushback and this consternation that that they're encountering. And so this is something that is like a theme for you. It's a theme for other people. And so if I would just like you to think about that theme, but then put the into the context of the program. And, you know, like, what do you see as sort of the, the most prescient kind of biggest challenges for either scaling up the program or getting through these next five um, uh, sessions? And if you could just sort of like speak to the universe and say like, hey, these are the things that we anticipate or this is the one thing that we anticipate as being kind of like our biggest hurdle that we need to overcome or whatever in order to succeed the and in the way that we want to, can, can you please, can you please help us with this? You know, like what, what would be the, the one or two things that you sort of are, are looking at and going like, ah, that's going to be our next challenge. You guys know what that is? Money. Yeah, we know funding. We do funding. know yeah. money. And, and, and also I think we just need to keep learning about making sure that we're healthy. Like, 
mm-hmm. so that we can stick. It's, it sounds like we don't like it, but we love it. It's like <laughs> so that we can do it. Like we can't be traumatized ourselves, right. you know? Yeah. But money is the first, the first obstacle. Yeah. It just, just to reiterate, like I just say something that Emily always says. Emily's always just like, oh my gosh, those crappy cameras. I'm so embarrassed that we actually, you know, so like, and it's true. It's just like yes. every time, like Emily is like, for the photography, I'm talking past, I've not even gone film. Like photography, like she, Emily is like, always is like, you know, they'd better even take photos with their camera because like half the time they're like, oh, my battery's down, whatever. Like, and we never know, like, because there's so many different cameras with different batteries and everything so as she said like if we could just standardize like 15 cameras for this girls to like have exact same thing because sometimes like girls like oh her photos are better than mine because you know she has a better camera but well we don't really know that because we actually don't know what that camera is you know it's just like yeah so yeah. I, I i guess the biggest thing would be for if we could just like at least get exact same cameras for photography yeah and then if we just got three film cameras, even if it's just like five Ds or something, that we could actually structure like the program more specifically for okay, photography every day. Then if we have like three film cameras, we could do this and this and this. People don't. They're like, but what do you need the money for? What would you use the money for? How would the money help you? You know, it's not just so that we can like stay in a nicer Airbnb or something like that. I mean, it's no. It's, it's specifically for um, technical stuff. Like, I, I really think that the girls, it's amazing to me what amaz- the beautiful pictures they take with these such low-tech, out-of-date cameras. But um, I think that if we had some better equipment, they, they could even rise to the occasion and do even more. You know, I would just like to, I'm limited with how much I can teach them technically by the the cameras right and I, I just I know that some some of those girls especially like you know I could teach them about depth of field and I mean you know the sky's the limit of like what we can teach them it's it's like it's almost like I'm just like chomping at the bit like oh well, we could just take it a little bit more advanced I know Zippy <laughs> feels that way too like with the filmmaking we could make it even more advanced we could make mm-hmm. it <laughs> we could teach them more and more and more and more skills you know and it would just I get so excited thinking about that and if we just had a little bit of money to spend you know I, I just it I, mm-hmm. I think we could really take this program even further as far as the um technical skills they learn like i mean i'm just dealing like when they're sitting there and reviewing their pictures with me and everything you know we're just looking it out out on my little laptop that i've had since 2009 (laughs) (laughs) sometimes i'm just like oh if i just had a nicer screen you know right really i could really show them how they could tweak their pictures a little bit to make them go from good to great you know i could start teaching them how to edit and and all of that stuff to me you know, that's what expands a, a visual artist's mind, you know, is when you can start seeing things in more abstract terms or or just how, you know, you can change the way things look to completely change the emotion or the composition or whatever. And I would love to take it further. And I think if we just had a little bit better equipment and, yeah, then we could do all of that. I would also like to say that, you know, money buys time. And yeah, I think it, 
you know, it's like right now we try to really cram two two weeks of work. That's really like a month of work, but we we cram it into less than two weeks. But it's partially for our freelance schedules and all that. Like if we could just have two more days with the girls, you yeah. Know what I mean? Um, which probably would cost what like four hundred dollars more per workshop or something. Right. It's not that much money, but just because you're talking about creative exploration and all that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they get to the point where they start to become junior artists and then we're like, gotta go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not quite long enough. But we do have to consider like we're all losing two or three work weeks of work at home. And- and the longer we have them, the more we have to feed them and transport them and all that stuff. And that's yeah. money, yeah. And it would just be cool to have like a few dollars to make a flyer and stuff for the, you know, so more people would come to see their work and you know, just little things like that. It's yeah. not much money, but just knowing it's there would be so great. <laughs> yeah. But I agree about the cameras and yeah, both filming still. For both sure. filming still, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think <clears throat> this has been great. Um, I think that outreach, you know, is probably would be super helpful. And so the more people that know about the program, then you have just like a better opportunity for actually like getting support from, you know, outside of your immediate network. And so I, I hope that in my small way, we can like tell your story about the girls telling their stories and, um, you know, hopefully just widen that net a little bit larger. Mm-hmm. Um, so cool. Thank you, Matt. Well, no, I thank you. And I, I think that, you know, you've really taken a ton of valuable time to talk with me today. And I, I just, I can't tell you how grateful I am uh, for that. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Matt. Thanks for just, I mean, I, you're just doing such tremendous work. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being interested. So, um, have a great day. Thanks again for thank your time. You. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Well, that concludes episode two of the PMA podcast. I want to thank Spring, Zippy, and Emily for taking time to share their stories with us and tell us about their amazing organization. I also want to let you know that the article that we published about I'll Tell You My Story is in our second issue, which was written by our senior writer, John Sutherland. It contains a lot of great pictures and a really in-depth look at the great work that Emily Spring and Zippy are doing. And you can get that at our website, www.getthatpma.com. Finally, I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in once again to the PMA Podcast. See you next time. Toodaloo.